There are a lot of boring government jobs in the world, but Aaron Keneally is lucky enough to not have one of them. Aaron is the portfolio manager of the cybersecurity division for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. She gets the interface between the U.S. government and the startup and technology ecosystems. And we speak with Aaron this week about transferable lessons from the use cases and kind of the developments of AI in the public sector in the U.S. government to folks in the private sector. So we look at two main questions with Aaron today. First and foremost, how does an existing organization, in the case of the United States Department of Homeland Security, you know, over 100 years old here, how does an existing organization pick its right first AI projects? How do they kind of look through a lens of opportunity for AI? And you'll hear Erin talk about how she thinks about kind of the core capabilities of AI and how they've kind of layered that on top of the needs of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. And that might be an interesting lens for those of you in business. In addition to that, Erin speaks with us about sort of lessons learned and kind of upgrading the infrastructure and skills of an existing organization. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security is not like Amazon. This is not a world where data and data infrastructure kind of flow easily and everybody is familiar with kind of the language and skills of data science. This is the opposite of that. Uh, and many of you who work in larger organizations or even mid-sized companies are also dealing with the opposite of that. So how do we take that kind of environment and make learning AI kind of the norm? How do we pick projects to develop those kind of skills? And how do we kind of encourage an existing organization to sort of level up when it comes to a new skill set of artificial intelligence? So without further ado, let's hop right into the episode. This is Aaron Keneally with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. I'm your host, Dan Fagella, and you're listening to AI in Industry. So Aaron, where I wanted to start off is just getting your perspective on where artificial intelligence is on the radar for folks in kind of homeland security. We've covered a lot of the AI applications in the, the CIA and FBI and public sector domains. And people are curious as to what's actually happening there. Is there some perspective you could shed on, you know, kind of what's in the scopes? Sure. You know, I think first off, starting off with what you can probably generalize across all industry with regard to AI capabilities, and that's the strengths of sensing, detecting, identifying, filtering, classifying, correlating, rating, right? So, so those are all AI capabilities. And what we do is we're trying to take those capabilities to address what we do, which is understanding where government, DHS, other state and local law enforcement have capability gaps in terms of fulfilling their remit and their mission. So, for instance, things like um, anomaly detection, improving you know, situational awareness, predictive threat modeling, uh, whether that be for insider threat or fraud detection and prevention and mitigation, that whole suite, you know, things like reducing false positives. And specific, even more specific than that is, you know, for like, again, DHS, TSA, CBP, you know, the Border Patrol folks, immigration, scanning luggage for threatening objects, human faces for threatening persons, vehicles that may be approaching, you know, uh, airports or critical infrastructures, shipping containers that may contain threats, even things like physical objects in sensitive places. So think about the Boston Marathon, being able to better detect threats in open areas like that, and then port operations. So beyond the detection, things like entity resolution, there's a whole bunch of different ways to name and characterize persons and entities. So being able to kind of cut through the cruft so that we can make decisions, smarter decisions, faster, 
Emergency preparedness is another big one. You know, you can imagine all the different types of information being thrown at first responders and they need to triage situational awareness and different sources in, in real time. So, Got it. you know, that decision support in general. And so the, this is a pretty, so I appreciate you just cracking the watermelon open for us here. It, it sounds like on, on one level, some of the things that, you know, I was maybe expecting around, you know, border, Coast Guard, luggage, vehicles. You also mentioned you started off with just literally saying, hey, here's the capabilities that AI enable. We're just finding ways to layer that on top of what we have going on. And to be honest, that sounds almost exactly like what pharma is trying to do, almost exactly like what finance is trying to do. And I know in those spaces, it's kind of slow going. You know, If you're not Amazon and everything isn't already digital and data science friendly, being able to find where this stuff plugs in is not easy. But you highlighted some, some interesting ones. With luggage, would this potentially be you know, training systems to read x-rays to, to maybe more accurately highlight, detect, or make that little red light go off to let people know, hey, this is maybe a bag to look at versus this one. That, that kind of reminds me of maybe the medical diagnostics use case. Is that maybe a particular potential application? I'm, I'm thinking computer vision because of how many camera things you mentioned. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. And again, it's being able to make decisions in a much more efficient and effective manner, right? Because efficiency isn't effectiveness. You can be efficient and still sort of, you know, violate people's rights and expectations. And that's a huge other layer that we have to be concerned with because, you know, we do impact people in that regard, unlike some other industries. So we've got to be super sensitive to that pressure as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly in this country we do, maybe not necessarily every uh, nation of the world, but (laughs) yeah. We'll just uh, tip the old hat on that one. So um, with respect to this sort of efficiency effectiveness, you used the false positives example. Our audience right now is probably thinking, okay, cybersecurity. You know, we look at a number of threats, we highlight the ones that actually might have some credence to them, and you don't notify our people when it's maybe not worth notifying them. Is that that sounds like kind of a theme, that anomaly detection theme that can just be extrapolated across almost anything at American borders? Um, is is that safe to presume? And or maybe there are a couple examples you might highlight. Well, so absolutely. I mean, you know, look in the in the security realm. I forget who it was that had a report out recently in, in terms of the the uh, the rate of attack of malware. I mean, the adversaries are using AI just as much, if not more, and we can't respond at the rate of human response. So, so we've got to be able to deploy artificial intelligence to be able to. Know really sift through you know all all sorts of processes services. This is from a cybersecurity perspective. If you're looking at it in the context of you know anomaly detection and and malicious activity online, I mean you've got millions of processes and services and uh, you know users, registries, network connections, you know all sorts of stuff. And it can be information overload, and it it can also be a distraction. So so certainly that's one area where we're trying to, to leverage capabilities. Yeah, essentially, there's there's a lot of monotonous and kind of rote things involved in security, involved in borders. And if you can coax out the ones that are really worth paying attention to and more efficiently kind of funnel out the ones that maybe don't need as much human time or technology resources, it sounds like that that might be kind of a sweet spot for AI from what you're saying. Absolutely. Cool. The second topic that I knew would be relevant for this conversation would be getting a perspective on how an organization as large as yours here in the government thinks about kind of upgrading core systems 
uh, with artificial intelligence because the folks who are tuned in are well aware that this is not software that we simply install and all is well. This is kind of a new way of doing, a new way of managing data. When it comes to how the government is thinking about kind of grassroots, how are we going to level up these systems? What's the philosophy there? Because that is that is a monster to work on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, gosh. And j- just to start off, you know, the government is um, notoriously behind industry to start. So we're starting behind the eight ball as it is. You know, we're challenged to adopt technology in a, in a very rapid pace due to various concerns of just the bureaucracy, our procurement, lack of deafness, I'll call it. And, you know, in general, dealing with any large organization that's going to come into the picture, you know, there's a, there's a cup. I guess I would boil down kind of in, along two dimensions. One, so you've got sort sort of technical gaps and challenges to deal with with regard to adopting AI, and then there's what I'll call, I guess, decision support adoption challenges. So first off, you know, specific to AI and cyber cybersecurity. Um, just simply mapping homeland security and defense problems into forms that are addressable by AI is non-trivial, right? So it's very different than taking, you know, even you know, autonomous vehicles, facial recognition. Cybersecurity is not a well-defined problem for AI. You've got dynamic code, you've got dynamic attack surfaces adaptation method. So it's, it's, not, it's not an easy to find problem for machines to tackle. Secondly, you've got a lot of sort of data problems to deal with, with regard to lack of data standards and, and, and interoperability, yep. you know, that will enable reduced reliance on human-based things. So things like data tagging and curation, right? It, it's very um, manually human-intensive exercise, and it's an area where we want to deploy AI. But, you know, again, those standards aren't there, so it, it's a little bit, you know, impeding our ability to, to adopt that. I think of some other technical gaps here. Just, you know, validating the AI generated outcomes, again, because we're affecting people's lives and safety, and oftentimes civil liberties. So we got to make sure that we get it right, and that it's validated, we can't just deploy some something that renders a decision about somebody at an airport that's yeah. that's wrong. I mean, we need to be robust in that regard. That's a real challenge, obviously, for you folks, right? Amazon can show me the wrong set of books and the wrong set of rain boots a hundred times, but getting called once out of the line and interrogated is, is probably enough to the consequences are greater there, right? Um, and so it seems like clearly you have those hindrances, and so does the world of healthcare diagnosing, you know, cancer. You're not going to fifty-fifty that. You're not going to fifty-fifty where to put someone's life savings if we're investing money with AI in the finance world. So these are all much bigger challenges than a lot of the media and e-commerce world has to deal with. Do you see the government at this point thinking about AI in terms of? A realization that they need to kind of overhaul core data infrastructure, have this stuff be more harmonious and accessible? Or do you see it more today as a bit of a sniping strategy, finding isolated use cases where AI can deliver value and and hopefully we can like learn something that maybe we can scale a bit into the future? Is it more a strategy yeah. underpinning or is it more sniping at this point? I think it's sniping. I, you know, like I said, it's rendering large-scale enterprise-wise decisions and then operationalizing those are very difficult. And then oftentimes the problem is once a decision is made and a lot of money is thrown after it or thrown at it, I should say, if it 
proves to be a failure, you know, oftentimes it becomes very difficult to back out of it. So I think we're definitely approaching it from a sniping perspective. And I actually, I don't necessarily disagree with that, just given the nature of the environment, that business environment that we're dealing with. Yeah, I think it's, well, obviously that the infrastructure of something like the government is uh, is going to be really a, ro- a robust sort of challenge here compared to, you know, a firm that has 40 people where overhauling how we deal with data is a totally different ballgame. Do you see people thinking about this as a way of learning? In other words, hey, let's try these individual use cases and hope to kind of cultivate some of the, just the, the core fundamentals of how to work with AI, how to work with data, how to build these basic skills, or are a lot of people still thinking about it like it's just another tool. Oh, let's just kind of plug it in over here. Let's plug it in over there. Where where are they in terms of a mindset and do you agree with their mindset? You know, I think it's probably a little bit of both. It depends on the level of comfort with the technology and the person that you're dealing with. And this sort of points back to one of the adoption challenges that I didn't get to, which is, you know, just the organizational acceptance of new approaches. And that requires, a, you know, a comfort level of executives who are writing the checks to to understand what those approaches are telling their operators to do, you know, the decisions that they're making, the actions that they're taking, and really being willing to risk their own performance assessments on the use of those technologies. So I've seen a mixed bag, and it's interesting in in more of the law enforcement role. You know, I've seen it, uh, you know, span the gamut of, you know, you've got the guys who are kind of geeky and they want to be kind of first movers and, you know, they're willing to embrace any new technology and just plug it in and run with it. And you've got a lot of people who they they just they don't trust the technology because they don't understand it necessarily um, or they see it as kind of a job threat. So it's kind of all over the board. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, I guess one more one more facet of just being in such a large organization is even the way things are embraced or thought of or conceived is just going to be so wildly different uh, department to to department. Absolutely. If there were any transferable lessons as we wrap up on the call here, you know, I, I realize that. Uh, a lot of the folks that are tuned in are really thinking about dealing with similar circumstances to yourself. How do we kind of cherry pick the right use cases, maybe learn something here and deal with the fact that we have a big existing organization that we have to run? Are there any experiences or lessons that you have that you feel like would be useful for that crowd? Oh, gosh, I would, you know, sort of the takeaway lesson there is I would just make sure that you and this is probably not news to you, but, you know, it really takes a multi stakeholder approach, you got to get the technologists in with the SMEs, the subject matter experts, and um, the ground truth folks who you're deploying the AI to assist. And really, I mean, that's the equation for me. You, you know, one single entity, I think, can't do it. You can't just throw a technologist at it. You're certainly not going to just, you know, throw the technology in the lap of the SME or the first responder. So it really does, if it's going to work and if it's going to succeed and if it's going to be embedded and adopted in the, the business processes of the government, you've got to have all three of those entities working together. Very, very pivotal lesson. Hopefully the folks who are tuned in, many of you read the executive guides. You'll be familiar with our term connective tissue and just how right Aaron is in literally every sector, not just in the one that you work in, Aaron, as to kind of how important that is. Hopefully that that mind shift is going to sink in and hopefully the people tuned in are going to take that lesson to heart and help it sink in to, to upgrade their organization as you are trying to yours. And Aaron, I realize that's all that we have for time, but I sincerely appreciate you sharing a bit of your perspective and stepping out of the office to take this interview today. That was very kind of you. And thank you for joining us on AI and Industry. 
Thanks much, Dan. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of AI and Industry. This is your host, Dan Fagella. I hope that we catch you next week. Many of our executive listeners often get great ideas from our podcasts or our newsletters, but they end up coming to us for more help. So they might see some research project that we did with the World Bank, and they might want to do some of their own research on deeper market opportunities for AI in a specific sector or understanding the growth rates of AI in a certain domain. Uh, They might have seen some AI business strategy work that we've done with a pharmaceutical company and maybe ask about things along those lines or see one of the presentations that we've given at the United Nations and ask if we can speak at an event. Uh, And while we certainly do these things, uh, we're certainly involved with clients on pretty big projects on a regular basis. A lot of the time, these messages will just end up in my personal inbox. People will find my email or they'll just find me on LinkedIn and send along a message. And this ends up being actually pretty tough to juggle at this point, given the travel schedule and given all the, the client projects that we're involved in. And few people actually know, particularly people who only listen to the podcast and, and aren't on Emerge.com or on the newsletter, uh, don't know that we actually have a services page that lists what we can help with. So we are not the best at everything, but in terms of what we do, which is mapping the capability space of AI and conveying that to executives in ways that help them win in the market, specific services tailored to that can be found at emerj.com slash services. So here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we work with government departments, we work with public companies, uh, we work with organizations who are serious about making AI a competitive advantage. And again, we actually do list sort of the programs that we have. So many of the podcast listeners don't know this. These messages end up in my inbox and then I'm you know, traveling for two weeks and I feel really bad that I get back to people later. But you can reach us through that services page or simply send along an email at services at emerj.com services at emerj.com from there dylan or marcus or one of our team members will be able to get back to you much more quickly uh, than i would via linkedin so if you're interested in doing more with what you've learned here if you have serious business initiatives related to artificial intelligence and you want to take your organization to the next level just simply reach us at emerge.com slash services that's emerj.com slash services or just email services at emerge.com that's emerge with a j So thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, again, we're going to be diving into AI use cases and trends and conveying the transferable lessons that you can bring to your organization. And I look forward to having you here next week.